Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo Padalinga. I'm a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to listen, to love, and to learn from one another. Even if we disagree, we got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God expects for us to do with each other. And this podcast isn't about the deep technical things of our Catholic faith, but rather how do you make it more practical simply by listening to each other. And this week, we have the opportunity to listen to Sam Rocha for a round two, so to speak. He's a Catholic philosopher teaching at the University of British Columbia uh, and an outspoken social critic on Twitter and on other line publications. You may remember I interviewed him before because he thinks that I so hate and division. And he namely wanted to say it's because I deny certain things like climate change or even question the election or even perhaps racism. And so in this conversation, we're going to talk about racism, his point of view, his perspective, and I'm going to learn how perhaps we might actually agree on a lot of things, even if our methods to tackle it might be a little different. And so I hope you enjoy this deep dish discussion. And if you do, please make sure you support us by going to platinggrace.com donate, or better yet, become a member of the Academy. Because there, if you give a small monthly donation every month, you become part of our community and you get premium content and really special perks. So between now and then, I want you to enjoy my conversation as I dive into a deep dish discussion with Sam Rocha and I shoot the shiitake. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, for a deep dish discussion engaging Sam Rocha. We're going to talk about racism and his point of view try to figure out how can we as a nation come together to understand this, not just as an ideology, but also see it that it, what it is, it's a sin. But what do we do to move on and just see everybody as brothers and sisters, as difficult as it is, because there's so many complexities to it. So Sam, thank you for, uh, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining and welcome. No, thank you so much. All right, let's, let's kind of get right to it because yeah. an original show, one of our earlier shows, uh, we, we talked about, for lack of a better, very generic term, liberal, conservative, politics, religion, how they meet, where we're coming from. Is, uh, you know, me as a social media person, do I sow seeds of hate and division? And I think that's kind of where the crux was. You had a criticism that I sow hate and division, but it was based on a couple things, like you're thinking that I deny COVID, I deny climate change, or I 
would even maybe offer racist tweets. I don't know if that was. I didn't mention climate change, but you can oh, add well, that to the list. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can throw that out there too, for sure. sure. So I'd like to just get a working understanding of of racism as perhaps you see it, because I don't think we're going to disagree too much on this. Okay. Um, I mean, so for me, I try. I, I think when it, when we're talking about about racism. Um, uh, within a, a Catholic conversation, the, the most important thing is to recognize that racism is uh, is evil, and it's not only evil, but an intrinsic evil. And this yeah. means that it is something that is uh, like racism qua racism, like racism itself is 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 evil as the thing that it is itself. There's nothing sort of um, uh, good about it. Now, evil if you accept the view that, that I tend to take, it is privative. In other words, evil deprives um, uh, the good. And Correct. so, in some senses, I think in an abstract way, we can understand the evil, the intrinsic evil of racism as emerging from the good of self-love uh, or the good of, of, of love for one's own, one's own family, one's own uh, people, uh, one's own nation. And so this, this kind of, of evil that deprive that that is privative of the good of self-love is probably more generically referred to as xenophobia right uh, so afraid of the other afraid of the stranger afraid of the alien afraid of the one who is unlike uh, oneself the problem i have here is that i think i'm i, I think we agree all the way up here up to here i think this is mostly uncontroversial stuff um but i think it's far too uh general when we're talking about racism in the context yeah, of the United States in, of America. Exactly. So there's exactly. some concreteness yeah. to it all. Uh, Good. You know, you, you and I are both considered people of color. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're in the United States. We are. Um, yeah. Uh, you would be in Canada, too. My, my status, I'm still trying to figure out. Brown in Canada uh, is a term that generally ha uh, is used for the South Asian community. Um, and I've learned that in, you know, and in, 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 I was born in Brownsville. Right. I mean, yep. I, I for me, You're Brown was such a Mexican, like Latino yeah. thing. I would be brown. So I've had to learn how to how to uh, understand. I, I would be taupe because, you know, like <laughs> Filipinos, they call us the Mexicans of Asia. And that's a proud kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I One of my. Yeah. 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 We have a lot of similarities, but we do in terms of racism. You've probably experienced a little bit of xenophobia, some mal maltreatment, and maybe even some racism. I certainly have. I'm mm -hmm. twice as old as you, so I'm closer to the civil rights. Are you sure? I mean, I'm, you're looking I'm, you're looking really good if you're twice as old as me, Father. Listen, we're supposed to be having a controversial topic here. I'm kidding with you. No, but I, I think I am. I'm okay. For sure. All right. Okay. I'm, uh, so, so the idea of racism when was your first experience of racism as an intellectual sin? Like when you intelligently recognize it's a sin and it's in our country. And then I actually want to talk about this term systemic racism because hmm. I have, I have struggles with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good point. And I, and I think, I think you're right. I think that um, making sense of racism is important to do from one's own experience if you have experience you know in your gut that like that was racism and and i have to say you know 
our guts can be wrong, but there, there have been a few moments where like, you just know something's racist and, and it just kind of turns your stomach. Oh, sure. Um, and it can be directed towards you or towards someone else. And, you know, he, here's the point though, that I wanted to kind of make earlier to make a finer edge on this, on this idea in the United States. I don't actually believe that xenophobia is the is the problem because i think xenophobia is fairly dispersed i think you can find xenophobia basically everywhere there's a xenos right what's specific to me about racism in the united states and i think racism is too polite a word that we're using is that in the united states um uh the 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 word i would prefer to use would be white supremacy and I would even maybe go so far as to as to as to sharpen it even more to say anti-black white supremacy, and this would be very specifically and historically oriented to the legacy of the transatlantic slave, um, um, uh, uh, transatlantic slave trade, shadow slavery, Jim Crow, and, and this very specific moral injury um, to our black brothers and sisters. You'll notice that at least qualitatively or sociologically, uh, there's a clear distinction here. And I'd like to show it to you uh, and see if, if maybe you disagree. But so in, in Native Americans and people who are indigenous uh, to, to the Americas, okay. um, they have a very particular claim, right? An indigenous claim to, to this place. In some right. sense, they have a, a kind of original claim to, to, to this place. Uh, on the other hand, you have uh, um, immigrants um, who come, and some of them come as settler cl uh, colonists. They come to settle. Some of them come as extractive colonists. They came and grabbed some stuff and took it back to their place. In other cases, you have uh, refugees and immigrants who came not so much to take advantage, but to flee a, a different situation and to come here. Uh, sometimes they're driven by economy, all kinds of stuff. Notice, though, how... The immigrant, the refugee, the indigenous person to a land are qualitatively different from the person who's brought here against their own will. That to me is is such a bright white line of the of the nature of the moral injury that xenophobia for me does not uh, capture. And this is why I prefer to talk about anti-black white supremacy, which is the specific historical uh, uh, roots of a kind of xenophobia, which in this particular nation and on these particular continents, North and South America, has kind of ravaged uh, these shores from, from Africa to the present. Okay. And so the people brought here, I completely understand that. And you enlighten me on a term. Can you say what that transatlantic slave route was again? The transatlantic slave trade. Uh, so this was uh, the, um, the 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 route from from African shores yeah, the, the, to the term was once again I just can't remember. The oh, term. oh, shadow slavery, shadow, shadow. slavery. Okay, Sh shadow. Uh, chattel, C H A T E T T E L. Okay. Um, that actually, the term there just means uh, um, uh, sort of selling people as property, okay. uh, which is a kind of slavery. When you link that up to the transatlantic sl uh, slave trade, uh, you start to see the specifics um, of, of, of African enslavement in the Americas. So I just want to make sure I understand historically what years they were, and, and I'm not diminishing it and how it mm -hmm. affects us today. I sure. just want to understand what years did that occur? The so. So Chattel's, uh, shadow slavery in the United States um, was an institution that existed, I believe, from 1619 to 1864. Okay. Um, and then uh, the interesting thing is that after uh, the uh, um, 
the Emancipation Proclamation was, was proclaimed. Correct. The southern states, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, began instituting laws that basically were uh, laws that just re-enslaved the freedmen who had been uh, emancipated by Lincoln. Uh, and this became known as the Jim Crow laws sure. um, of the South. Now, one thing to notice, though, by the way, just to be clear, is that whenever um, uh, um, uh, enslaved people were emancipated in 1864, they were not um they were freed from slavery, but they were not given, for instance, the right to vote. <laughs> sure. They were not. They were not given full participation in in American society. That would oh, come no, uh, much much later. Much later, obviously, yeah. with the civil rights movement. But you know, things are working through that. What do you think you attribute that to? Just this whole notion of being able to enslave people and bringing them over to another country to basically make them your workers. Wh- where do you think that comes from? Well, in terms of like the the human condition, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, this is where the the language so of sin, this the language yeah. of sin is the only language I know of uh, personally that Wait, I ca- that I can use. No, I, but I, but I, I will say there is something historical we can look at, which is uh, an earlier date, fourteen ninety two. Okay. Which was the 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 so colonialism. And this is a, a, a difficult because you have the Spanish coming into certain areas, you have the French in other areas, you have the English into other areas. The American story gets super complicated because the Americans break off from the English, but they carry on some of the kind of colonial sensibilities. And and you have outright genocides, by the way, of, sure. of indigenous peoples up and down the Americas. Um, I think that concretely, without going into sort of human condition and sin, um, it was largely the um, uh, the conceits of colonialism in the Americas that gave the impression to these people that they had license uh, the right to uh, to other people. It was also, by the way, um, so for instance, Bartolomé de las Casas was a Dominican, uh, eventually a Dominican priest who argued in favor of the personhood of indigenous peoples who were enslaved in the Indies and the Yucatan and the Caribbean. Um, and he argued against people like Juan Sepulveda and the Spanish crown saying, no, this is wrong. We shouldn't enslave um, these people. What he the horrible tragedy of that story is he was right, I think. I mean, he, I, well, I don't, it shouldn't be controversial. He was right. You shouldn't enslave people in general and you shouldn't enslave indigenous people. But one of the, um, the horrible, tragic consequences was that they said, okay, well then, if we can't enslave them, we'll ensl- enslave the peoples of Africa. And that was one of the kind of tragic um uh, moments, I think, in history. That is one of the things that people do talk about, that the Bible almost has slavery in it. You know, they, they talk about that. And obviously, Christ used that same language. Sure. Uh, you know, that we're slaves to sin, but also wanting mm-hmm. to free the slaves. That's what he came for. And so, as a Catholic and as a philosopher and someone who obviously is passionate about civil rights and making sure that people of color are treated equally. Sure. Where have we come from? Because I I don't want to get too stuck in history. I want to kind of move forward to being able to specifically say, how can we move forward? How are we supposed to do that? Yeah. 
in your experience? Yeah. Uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to gently and uh, push back here just because for me, actually, okay, well, that, that, one fine. of the ways, one of the ways to, to move forward is precisely to go back into yeah. history. I think too many people believe that contemporary uh, movements that they see that are committed to anti-racism are a reaction to yesterday's news or are a decade old or 20 years old. Correct. And the reality is that these are very old and they go back into the very foundations of the American psyche and of the sure. American nation. They get into our economics. They get they get into everything. White supremacy is 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 all over uh, this. It, it, it even precedes America. So I mean, absolutely, so, absolutely. So what we've got to deal with is the stuff that we've got now. And I'd never want to diminish history because I know if you don't understand it, you're going to repeat it. That's just a basic fact. It's true. So but what I we've got to do is is just kind of at least move a little bit forward, a little bit quicker in terms of maybe the civil rights movement. Obviously, a very positive step, but for many people, it's not enough. I mean, it's no, um, yeah, I, I think I think in some sense you could say. Um, by the way, there were a lot of critics of of the very idea of civil rights. Um, there were black critics of Martin Luther King, for instance, sure. um, who who argued that that I think they were. I, I, in the end, I actually think they were wrong. I, I think King was, for instance, far more radical than he get, got credit for. Um, the point, though, that, that I that I made earlier that I would reemphasize here, though, is that in particular, our black brothers and sisters in the United States have they carry with them a historical archive of their skin and they and they walk around with that. And and it's and it's beautiful. That is to say, they are beautiful, yet they're always reminded of the way in which the 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 black body is represented in this country. And and by the way, when we go to the lynching, which is maybe the most horrific site of, I mean, enslavement is horrible. I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to compete between things here, but, no, no, but, I get this. but the lynchings that, you know, the lynchings of, of Jim Crow, um, by the way, lynchings weren't common during slavery because when people are property, you don't want to destroy yeah, you your property, destroy the other right? Person's property. Yeah. Yep. Um, but but during Jim Crow, lynchings and and these um, uh, ins, you know militias and, and local uh, were were very common in the South. Um, uh, they were multiracial in some cases. Mexicans were lynched along sure. the border and in, in the South. Uh, but but in particular, the lynchings against against. Uh, Black men and women. Yep. It's important to to um, to notice that the people doing the lynching, the people watching the lynching, and the person being lynched were all they would say Christians. Sure, every single one of them believed in the and read the Bible. Um, and I, this is for me, a, 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 honestly, an albatross for 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 my faith. Truly, um, it's. The, 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 the historical reality that black people carry every day is not only political, it's also religious in a way. And I think their faith is so inspiring to think that people for whom their brothers and sisters in Christ have done so much violence against them, uh, but they persist in their faith is one of the most magnificent testimonies you can find in, in, so in, in modern what are, day. So what are we to do now? Because uh, everything that you've said 100% in agreement with you, because it is absolutely disgusting, especially if we put 
a lens of our, you know, 20th century lens and having studied more of this and actually having looked at the history more deeply and got into the psychology of it all and obviously entered into the spiritual compassion. We know that it's evil. How do we move on? Because you might take offense to this, but I do think that sometimes people hold on to the past as it was theirs only. Like, a, you know, I'm an immigrant and I was treated pretty poorly by some mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to hold on to that. That's not going to stop me from being able to do what I need to do. I, and the term would be do you think that people self-victimize based on their skin color. Yeah. Well, look, and this is something... Um, I don't like speaking for other people. So like myself as a Mexican American, Mm. uh, by the way, um, I wouldn't call myself an immigrant because my family, at least on both sides, my mother and my father, my Montano side, my Rocha side are from Texas and New Mexico. So we have a saying in Spanish, la frontera nos cruzó, which means the the border crossed us. We never crossed the border. That's right. Um, We're not immigrants. We are, in some sense, our language of Spanish is the oldest language, the oldest colonial language in this this country. So when people say speak English, I say, no, you speak Spanish. It's, you know, if you want to get into that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, Um, I'm definitely an immigrant. (laughs) You're definitely an immigrant. I'm definitely an immigrant. Here's what I'm trying to to point out, though, is that um, our communities, um, Mexican Americans, Filipinos, uh, South Asians, um, uh, basically people of color who aren't black, just to be okay. clear. Sure. Um, for one, we've had a lot of members who have entered and then exited. <laughs> How do you for mean? instance, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Italians, um, uh, Irish. Um, in other words, there have been waves of immigrants who came in with a kind of social stigma who have found their way into the status quo. And I know like it within the like, um, uh, Asian American community, the whole idea of the model minority is kind of like one of these, even with like the Harvard scandal and stuff like that. One of the, here's the, here's the thing is that just in the way that xenophobia is very general, you can find that people of color who are not black will oftentimes use their own marginalization against black people strategically in order to find themselves on the right side of the status quo. And my community did this because you know what? We were white on the census before the census got complicated. It used to be the census was black or white. And so if you were Mexican American, you were actually white. So a lot of Mexicans said during civil rights, well, we don't want to fight for black people because we don't want them to think we're suddenly not white. We, we got, we're on the right side of the checklist on the census. And so a lot of Mexicans in the US, a lot of Latinos um, shamefully sat out that movement or sat on the sidelines to wait and see and let things figure themselves out. And so I think that our own communities, uh, immigrant uh, uh, communities of color, uh, have to reckon with forms of anti-black white supremacy that even though we don't present or participate as white, there is this striving for a kind of whiteness, for a kind of status quo acceptance, Hmm. for a kind of um, uh, ability to transcend our like the Irish, like, you know, Ashkenazi Jews, like Italians and so on and so forth. And I think this is also dangerous. And I think it's also happening in many cases in the present. And so this anti-black white supremacy, you kind of make it very specific. I'm not asking you to impugn anyone, but you think that it's still a very prevalent part of the problem today. Absolutely. And so maybe you can just share with me some experiences of that, because 
I, I've seen, I've seen, thankfully, great development. Should there be more? Absolutely. But I can't blame the past for not knowing what we know now. I, I, we just can't do that. I think we can blame the past. I think the I think uh, the people who enslaved other people were wrong in the past, and they're Absolutely. wrong in the present, and they'll be wrong in the future. Um, so I'm not a relativist about history, and I'm and I no, actually no, and I, I'm not a relativist either. I just want to make sure I make that clear. Oh, okay. We can't we can't presume that they should know better? No, I do think they should know better. Actually, well, there's a lot of development that had to take place, including the experience of other cultures, and I mean we see this even in the Bible that. That the, even in the scriptures there was slavery. So we're simply developing an understanding of what it means to be more. No, again, uh, to me, like um, there's no moral ambiguity for me about because, like, um, one of the most famous stories in scripture of slavery is the enslavement of, of Israel by Pharaoh, sure. and it, Moses and it was not uh, didn't give Pharaoh any breaks here. He God eventually took his only son. So I think that the penalty for Cain, where is your brother, and the punishment of Cain, the punishment for sin is clear from Genesis forward and I have I have zero tolerance for for any like relativism about 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 this I think it's very clear throughout throughout scripture uh, and also throughout history the the point to, to be done today though is that it could be the case and here I'm just I'm proposing like a hypothesis to you it could entirely be the case and it has been the case in the past that one way in which racism operates is not by people calling each other names you could imagine all the names you could call me and just like i could imagine the names i could call you nasty stuff right um maybe if we if we became very close friends had a couple drinks we could joke around that way whatever blah 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 i get it it's complicated but ultimately racism isn't always about calling people nasty names or overtly enslaving people a lot of times the way racism exists is the way sin exists which is by denying that it's real by not taking it seriously by not trying to cultivate the kind of moral conscience we need and so it's my view that the people who are consistently asking well hold on a minute how do we can't we move no sin Evil is not something that you deal with by by consigning it to the past or whatever. It's something you deal with aggressively in your own interior life and also in your own society. And so for me, in America, the question of the color line, the, the question that Du Bois said would be the question of the 20th century, um, this is not something that can be, you know, dealt with in a mere 50 years after 246 years of of enslavement of of a specific people who can be demarcated against all other people on the continent i think it's going to take a lot longer for that sin to be rooted out and i think if we could commit ourselves to that anti-racist project for a long time then i think we could begin to see that because that's that was the struggle that martin luther king and the civil rights people were, were in for they in fact king said after civil rights was passed that 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 the injustice committed against the Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the fire bombings, that that was white supremacy too. Sure. Right? So, so and he wanted to fight that as, we, uh, just we, as we aggressively. Are, are, you're absolutely right. You need to fight to understand the truth. But if people are limited in their experiences, there's always going to be a lack of understanding until you actually encounter the other person. What we're doing now is we're trying to encounter, trying to create an experience of other people's plight 
I think that we have a ton of resources for people to be very aware of it. I think we have, as a country, developed compassion. Do we have more to go? Yup. But I don't know if I don't know if white supremacy, anti-black white supremacy, is the ultimate problem. I, I, I don't know if that's the case. I, I'd like to eventually dive into that a little bit more. Well, I but, think it's the original sin. Uh, so I would contend, uh, to, just to make a claim here, I, I would claim that, that anti-black white supremacy, the historical legacy of the transatlantic uh, slave trade and shadow slavery in the United States from, from, from before 1619, from, 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 from colonialism sure. into institutional slavery, into Jim Crow to the present, is the original sin of this nation. That's my claim. And that sure. is, and would that be the reason why, and I'm just going to just jump into it, if you can give me like a minute or two to help me understand your approach to systemic racism. Right. So systemic racism for me as a Catholic is actually quite easy to understand I'm because sure. I understand sin not only as an individual behavioral action, but I understand that st that there are structures of sin that exist and the, these structures of that sin can embed itself into structures, into habits, into ways of life, even into modes of, of culture. And uh, so when, when, when John Paul II in Evangelium, uh, Evangelium Vita in 1995 uh, talked about a culture of death, well, he was talking about something really broad and really big with a lot of different actors and stuff. So for me, racism is just a part of the, one of these structures of sin. So structural or systemic racism refers to the fact that racism is not just calling someone a name on the street or the historical injustices of the past or even the present, but it's something far deeper. And it's something that we even carry in our psyche. And it's something that creates something that that manifests itself in forms of self-loathing and forms of of uh trying to aspire to a kind of whiteness um nope. oh yeah well we, weeds and wheat exist in everybody and there's always going to be insecurities and i think we emulate what we appreciate and so i think there's got to be a clarity and understanding of that but more importantly as we're kind of coming to a close for this sure. conversation with racism with sam rocha we want to try to figure out what do you think if, can you give me i don't know two three steps that you actively take yourself, you encourage your students, you would like to see the Catholic Church do to say that we are at least actively fighting the sin of racism without accusing people of just being racist because that doesn't help much. You know, just sure. to say, you're a racist, you gotta stop. Well, give me three things that you would say to help people to stop being anti-black white supremacists. So the first thing I would do is don't assume um, don't assume that being a racist is is something that that one cannot be. Uh, I'm I am convicted all the time um, by the ways in which I have both in the past and even in the present participated in in any number of in particular anti-black white supremacist ways of speaking, thinking, acting. Um, and, and I have to reckon with that in my conscience. And, it, and, and whenever you read people like Baldwin, when you read people like Toni Morrison, who was Catholic, by the way, when you, they even talk about within their own black psyche, this self-hatred. Ralph Ellison has this novel called sure. Invisible Man. That's all about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so don't. Don't expect racism to just be something you see outside. It's something inside. And okay. just like sin, just like lust, just like pride, just like envy, you have to confront it on the inside. That's the first thing. The second okay. thing is listen 
to black people without asking them to tell you things. That means going to the library, getting a library card, and checking out books, and reading the record, both historical, fiction, literature, poetry. And I think what you'll find is that whenever you read uh, poetry by Langston Hughes, whenever you read uh, um, Du Bois, whenever you read Maya Angelou, you're gonna see someone who understands something deep within, but also on the outside, that we can't understand independent of their view. I think representation there matters. And the third thing I would say for Catholics is think about our brother and sister black Catholics in the church today. There are more black Catholics in this country than there are people in the AME, sure. which is considered the black church. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. It's fantastic, yet it's also been marginalized historically just as where i grew up in texas the mexicans had this small chapel to our lady of guadalupe and there was a white church on, on on the other side of town and those things came down in the 70s and 80s but it but in a, i would say a far more pernicious way black catholicism specifically has been marginalized and i think that not only looking at the general record of american black uh, um, literature and, and, and tradition but also looking to our black brothers and sisters uh, a black catholic messenger is a wonderful uh, source for journalism Gloria Purvis is, I think, a singular light in our church today. Um, the way she's been treated by EWTN, by Guadalupe Radio Network, the way she's discomforted, white establishment Catholics, I think is, is a clear sign of the, of the issues we have to work through today. But there's many other voices and there's many other people. Um, and I would just say those three things, work from the inside, not from the outside, go to the library, and then for Catholics, pay attention to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Catholic and black. So if you still have a library card, I would definitely recommend that you get there. You could also search things out on the world. You could also use Google. Google. Uh, so listen, this is uh, this has been helpful to be able to come to an understanding of certain things. I actually have zero disagreement with any of these things. This is called ongoing conversion, ongoing formation. But at the same time, the accusations, we have to be careful with it. But I'm going to give you my carryout order when we return, because I think that if we don't take these things, and I apply this not just to myself, but even to my black brothers and sisters, I would like for them to make sure they know their history as mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And make sure that their culture is something that we can all share and participate in. And look, as a chef, who we all know that the, the spices and the style of cooking, it brings truly a unique perspective, which is what we're trying to do. And what I'm gonna do when I come back with my carryout order is talk about these three things that Sam Rocha was mentioning and how I can apply that to my life. And when we do that, we're gonna be continuing our efforts to get rid of this sin, which has been with us for a very long time. It'll probably be with us until the day we die and when we get completely purified in heaven. But I think that what we can do is at least ask for the fires to purify us mind and heart and in our relationships now. And I'll be back. And I want to thank Sam Rocha once again. I'll be back with my deep dish discussion. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, for my carryout order. I want to thank my special guest, Sam Rocha, and uh, on all of the work that he does in trying to really call to mind the reality of racism and its longevity and its kind of uh, deep tentacles or, or, or roots in all of us. Some may call that systemic racism. And while I appreciate that term, I don't know if, if it's a, a pure understanding or I think it might actually be a, an easy way out because 
everything can just be systemically racist at that point. But um, I, I also just want to throw the caveat out there that just because I didn't challenge him on a notion, as it wasn't because I was agreeing with him, is because I was just listening to him. He obviously has a passion. He obviously has a lot of education, and I appreciate that. I, I find him a very um, engaging person to have a deep dish discussion. And so here are my carryout orders. And, and it's not that I'm, I want to challenge what he has to say, uh, but but maybe to flesh out my perspective and what I heard in this anti-black white supremacy. Well, first of all, know that racism is real. Uh, I, I've seen it. I have experienced it against me myself, and that there are times when I might think, in a sense, a negative thought, but I'll be very honest with you, it's not necessarily built on a person's color, but by a character, by a culture. So I, I know that there are criticisms that people have, and they only want to limit it to just color, but I think what we need to do is have a deeper conversation about a person's character as well as a culture, uh, just because those things can get so intermixed and it makes it difficult to have a real conversation like like Sam and I were trying to have. And again, that's why I appreciate him very much. He, he did talk about, because of the slave trade, and he was sharing with me that a shadow slave trade passage, it's, you know, it's a new term, I've always known that there were passages, I just didn't know the exact term, so I'm grateful for that education. But the idea of this, because of slavery and being brought into it, it has created, in a sense, a psyche or an attitude that is so ingrained that people think that white people are the best, white people think that they're the best, and that somehow there is an inferiority of that is being imposed on us, either subconsciously or, you know, either inadvertently or very purposefully, that if we are not white, then we're just never going to be as awesome. And I guess that's where he and I will probably have to have more of a conversation because to me, that just simply is a type of a playing God because it, it assumes that we know what people are thinking. And, and there are just too many people who I know who are people of color who couldn't care less about their color. Uh, they know that it's a part of them, but they work on their character so much that they don't feel victimized. Uh, there, I just said it. You know, it's just because I think that sometimes this conversation, if not dealt with in a very systemic and rational way, could lead people to feeling victimized. And 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 I'm I'm grateful to know that I know a lot of black people who don't feel that way at all. Uh, I follow a lot of them on Twitter and on Instagram, and they're incredibly inspiring to me. Sure, they may have challenging circumstances, but they have never once made their skin color a reason why they're experiencing negative things because we know just on a statistical level they, that, that, that white people can be just as poor. In fact, probably even more poor if we were to kind of look at it as a per capita kind of argument. So, uh, you know, again, this is not to debate his points, but it does help me to, in my carryout order, realize that we're dealing with a psyche, we're dealing with an attitude and a mentality that we need to explore even more. I really appreciate when he said, don't just simply learn about people 
people of color by a conversation with them, but, but by reading their books, by reading their literature, by reading their 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 works, their their opus, their their written tradition, because in a sense that gives you an intellectual experience. But I'll also say that having conversations with people of different backgrounds is is not a bad way to get to know them either. That's one of the reasons why I did that. If you remember, we had an earlier conversation because uh, Sam didn't necessarily agree and therefore thought that my my social media were, posts were hateful and divisive. And I kind of chuckle at it now because I don't think that he would necessarily say that I am, but maybe he wants to assume that uh, that my posts are. That's perfectly fine. But the fact is, we need to have ongoing conversations about these incredibly challenging topics, and I'm grateful that Sam is willing to engage that. And I hope that you got something out of this conversation as I did, which for me is this, deeper reflection for compassion and learning and empathy to people of all different experiences, whether they're black, white, red or yellow, brown, you name it. We're all supposed to be God's children, and we'll know that we are a child of God when we treat the others as God treats them as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And please, if you want to support us, make sure that you hit that subscribe and like button. Let family and friends know about Shoot the Shiitake, conversations that lead to conversion. Support us by going to platinggrace.com. Become a member of the Academy. And between now and the next time, I want to thank my guest, Sam Rocha. And between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry for God. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.